0: Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Okay, all right, there's four of the people in the circle. I'm nervous, I'm grabbing these people's hands. They're sweaty, it's really gross. It's like I'm grabbing their hand. It's like, it's like really nasty. So I'm already upset about the situation that I'm finding myself in. And I'm working out what I'm gonna say because I don't wanna look like a fool. I don't wanna be an idiot. I wanna look cool. I wanna look like I know what I'm saying. And so it's coming around to me and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm pumped. I'm ready. This is it. I'm gonna pray really good. And this girl right here, she prays your whole prayer. Have you ever experienced it? She prays everything that you wanted to say. And she takes all of your words. And so you're like, Oh, dear God, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And now your hands are like so sweaty that you're practically spraying. <laughs> like you're just, you're so sweaty. You don't know what you're going to do. And you just freak out. You lose your mind. Some of you have experienced this. Apparently some of you haven't. But there's another thing that I don't understand with the hands. Like we're praying. And then when it gets to the end of the prayer, we do this weird thing where we squeeze. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Why, why do we do this? I really don't know why we do this. Is it, does it help the prayer? Does, it, does God not listen if we don't give a little squeeze at the end? It's like a little hand hug to our brother and sister. Love you. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know why we do it, but we do it. And then there's the person that just feels like God is not listening. And so they got to say, oh, dear Lord God, Father God, Lord God, I just pray, Father God, Lord God, that you would come and bless us today, oh, God, Father God, Lord God. Have you seen this? Have you experienced this? Some of you are like, that's me. Leave me alone. You're hurting my feelings. Some people pray like that, though, because they feel insecure, and they're just not sure what to say. And imagine if I treated all my relationships in the same way. Uh, Oh, dear, sweet Maria, precious Maria, wife Maria. I just thank you for these incredible children that you've borne unto me, sweet Maria, dear Maria, uh, lovely Maria, right? It it would be weird. And yet we come into prayer, and we just throw all this extra stuff. Why? Because we feel uncomfortable. Because we're not exactly sure what we're supposed to do. And through this series, all I'm trying to do... First of all, I don't want you to feel bad. If you say, Father God, dear God, Lord God, Father God, it's fine. You're doing great. Keep praying, all right? But I want to demystify prayer for you. I want to take it out of the realm of weird and uncomfortable, and I want us to get into where we feel like, oh, I actually want to pray. And we're basing this series around this book by a guy named Pete Grieg, and it's called uh, How to Pray a Simple Guide for Normal People. And so it's all centered around the Lord's Prayer. We're kind of taking a journey through it. And so, would you pray it with me, actually, as we begin here today? And we're going to reach back. We're going to grab on to some old King James Version, and we're going to read it together. So say it with me. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Or if you're holy, amen. <laughs> it's interesting to me because I think it's really easy to just breeze past the opening lines of this prayer. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of go through it really quick. You kind of go, um, you got, So our Father art in heaven, hallowed be the name, King come, will be done. Okay, now to the important good stuff give me daily bread. It's easier for us us just to fly past it, and Jesus does not want us to do this as he's teaching us how to pray with this prayer. Like, nothing could be further from the truth. These first opening lines are deeply meaningful and so important because every other line of this prayer is going to be preempted and primed by these opening lines. Now, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, they wouldn't have imagined that they could approach God like this. Like, they knew that 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 scriptures refer to God as a father sometimes, but it would have surprised, shocked, freaked them out a little bit to come and approach him in such familiar and familial terms. But this is so important because Jesus wants us to know. This is a setup. And the first thing I want you to get today is that Jesus, he wants you to believe. He wants you to see that God is your good and loving father. Simple point, really hard for a lot of people because the reality is It's difficult. A lot of us have incredibly difficult relationships with our fathers. And those difficult relationships that we have with our fathers, they inform our relationship with our heavenly father. They color color it. So everywhere we look, the breakdown of the family means that a lot of us, a lot of us have father wounds. For many of us, we have distant and unloving experiences with our dads. Statistically, probably 50% or more people in this room grew up in a divorced home. The truth is, We don't know what a real father is, most of us. And so I get it, like this is a tough sell. It really is, and I get it. How in the world do you pray to and trust in God as your heavenly father when this is your reality? But what Jesus is trying to get to here is, is what you think, what comes to mind when you pray. And this is gonna make or break your prayer life, I promise. It's gonna make or break your prayer life. So uh, A.W. Tozer says it like this. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Why is that? Because it affects how you approach Him. Because it affects how you see Him and how you think He's going to respond to you. So Jesus, He invited the disciples into this level of intimacy with God that they just didn't think would be possible. And Jesus could have said, when you pray, say, our Creator. Creator. When you pray, say, our Lord. When you pray, say, our Savior. Say, extreme Lord. Like, whatever you want to say, say that. He could have chosen all those things. And actually, God is all those things. But he didn't choose that. He chose a term that defines and clarifies the way that he wants to relate to you. Right. It's pretty incredible. Now, this word father in the Greek is it's patir, patir, and it's, it means nourisher. It means protector. It means upholder it means source of life in other words everything originates from him yeah. everything originates from him not from you not from me nothing else only from him romans 11:36 says for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever amen so our heavenly father he's the source of all provision of all rescue of all love and that is the reality that Jesus wants to us to approach him with in prayer. From this reality, not the idea that we have of God, not the sense that we have, not the, what life and circumstances of life has shown us and we believe God is this. Those things cannot be trusted. Jesus wants to point to the reality that God is your good and loving Father, and he wants you to be convinced deep down in your soul that God is everything for you. So after 20 years of pastoral ministry, I've become convinced that most people's big problem with prayer is God. Like that's people's biggest problem, because when they approach him, they approach him as unloving. When they approach him, they think that he's scowling. <laughs> oh, great. Here he comes again. Here comes the needy one, one more time. I am so sick of this guy coming into my throne room and yelling all this stuff at me. Like we think that about God. Now none of you would say it. But it's back there in many of our minds and the way we approach him. That he's perpetually disapproving of us. Oh. <laughs> tisk, tisk, tisk. What a disappointment you are to me. A lot of us think that. He's invariably disappointed with us. And he's gotta be, he's gotta be placated or he's gotta be persuaded to do something for us in prayer. And that's not who God is. And honestly, if that's how you felt, if that's what you think that's okay. And I don't blame you for wanting to avoid prayer. I don't blame you for not wanting to approach him in prayer. But I want us to get over this. Now, if you go downtown and you ask somebody on the street, hey, do you believe in God? They're going to say, yeah. Or they're going to say, no, nah, I don't. But that's actually not quite enough. It's incomplete. Because what you've really got to get to is, well, which God do you believe in? Because even if people say yes, we may not be talking about the same one. Because I think there's primary, there's three primary ways that people approach and believe God treats us in, in a certain way. And the first is the clockmaker. He's a clockmaker. So God just kind of winds up the world and he just let it go. And he doesn't care what happens to it now. It's just out there spinning and doing its thing. And he's just watching it and laughing when it goes astray. I think some people approach God and they think he's the absentee landlord. So he's, he's there... He's kind of around, but he only really shows up when it's time to pay. you got to give something. you got to do something. And then I think people approach God as if he's the drill sergeant. Like he's there just barking orders, trying to get you to do what he wants you to do. And if you don't do it, he's mad and he's screaming at you and he's trying to correct you. He wants to break you down so he can build you up. And I don't buy any of those things. That's not who he is, but that's how often we see him. There's a pastor named John Tyson. He said this, Unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. Some of you have experienced this. The angels, they've been locked in a room with God for thousands of years, and they still haven't gotten past the word holy. Holy, holy, holy. So if you're bored with God, you may be the person who's boring. I didn't say it. John said it. I didn't say it. I just read it. Email John. Don't email me. You may be the person who's boring, or it could be that you're just distracted by trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, though, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. I think that's true. And Jesus drives this point home further in the parable of the prodigal son. Most of you know it. It's a son. Jesus tells the story. It's a son. He's a jerk. He says to his dad, Dad, I don't want anything to do with you, so give me what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. I want it now, and I want to get out of here. And so he goes and spends all the money on wild living. He runs out of everything. His friends betray him. And he ends up then feeding pigs, the worst place a Jewish boy could be. He's feeding pigs slop, wishing that he could eat it. And he goes, man, I could be a servant at my father's house and be better than this. And so we picked the story up in Luke 15, 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And Jesus says, the God that you pray to, this is what he's like. He's extravagantly kind. He's full of compassion. And he throws his arms wide open for anyone and everyone that wants to come to him. No matter what you've done, what you've said, what you've experienced, or what you smell like, he wants you to come back. And Jesus tells this story to us on purpose because he wants to assure us that God, that Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, the creator of the cosmos, the sustainer of the universe, drum roll please everybody, that he is on our side. That he's on your side. So the reality is is that most of us, most of us have to do this work. Most of us have to wipe the face of our father off the face of God. They're not the same. They're not the same. None of us have perfect dads. And this is really challenging. I know it is because for many of us, it's our only reference point to what a father is. And we easily project our experiences onto our heavenly father. So it might take some time, but I'm just telling you, it's worth the journey. We have to do it because this affects how we see ourselves. Like think of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, he saw himself as an orphan. He said, I want the money, let me get out of here. And he took off and went to live his own life. And the truth is, is that a bunch of us, we live like that. We live like practical orphans in this faith. I'm out here doing my thing, but i got to fend for myself because God's not really involved. I'm an orphan out here alone. But then the son realized, well, I could go home and be a servant, so I'm going to go back home. And a lot of us, we feel that way. We feel like we could be a servant. Our our identity gets wrapped up in our unworthiness because we failed so much over and over and over again. So I'll never really be able to receive all of the love that God has for me, but at least I could go and I could serve in the church. This father didn't treat him like that at all. And Jesus is the one telling the story. And so then he finally realized oh, wait a minute. I'm not an orphan. Wait a minute. I'm not a servant. I'm actually a son. Even with all I've done, I'm still a son in this house. Because he shows up back home and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he's going to say, I just want to be your servant. And the dad says, Shut up, boy. Just shut up. Don't even continue. You're not going to be a servant in this house. In fact, get the boy a ring, grab him a robe, put sandals on his feet, because this is my son. And that's how God sees you. You're not an orphan. You don't have to just be a servant. You are a son or a daughter of the king. So notice something in the story. The father always saw him as a son. He never changed his mind. Even when the son said, I want nothing to do with you. And that's the nature of your heavenly father who loves you and he's never against you. And the deeper we start to believe that he is good and he's a loving father, the deeper we start to receive our identity. I am a dearly loved child of God, which means I'll have a greater desire to run in and spend time in his presence in prayer. It all matters. And what happens if you really start to believe this, that you decide, oh, I can ask my father for anything I want, I can ask my father for everything. See, my kids do this to me. My kids, they know that I love them. They have a place of stability and security in our household. I'm far from perfect, but so far, they're convinced that I love them. Hi. And so they can ask me for whatever they want. And oftentimes they do. Hey, Dad, can we go grab some pizza? And then maybe we'll stop by La Ola on the way back. And then maybe we just swing through Target and pick up some toys. And like, they'll ask for stuff. Ask for stuff. Why? Because they know I'm their father. I love them want to give him stuff i don't always do it by the way but (laughs) that's another part of the message but the reality is i love them with all of my heart so god is a loving father and i'm telling you prayer is not going to be enjoyable and you won't be able to sustain it if you cannot be convinced god loves you deeply and then the prayer continues so he wants to convince us of that, but then he moves, he moves on and he says that God is your father and he's where? He's in heaven. And again, most of us, we don't exactly know where in, where, where is that? And it's out there somewhere, most of us think, and, and that's actually not what Jesus is trying to get across to us. Because most people in America, they'll hear heaven and they'll think, oh yeah, fat cherubs on clouds and city, like that's what they'll think. People in diapers, it's weird. Stop thinking that. And it's out there somewhere, it's far away, it's it's far away from here. But actually, that's not what it means. Because as I understand it, in the original language, in the Greek, it's actually plural. So you could think of it as our Father in the heavens. And what that means is, the way that the original readers would read it, and the way that we should think of it, is our Father in the skies. Or more clearly, our Father in the air. He's our Father who's in the air, and He's closer than the air against your skin. He's in the air, the air that fills up your lungs, giving you breath and life right now. This is how Jesus wants you to approach the Father in prayer. Our Father, good and loving, who's in the air, who's right here filling me up. He's not far. He's not distant. He's not out taking care of some other business. He's right here present with me, and he's good. So Jesus wants you to know God is as close to you as the air against your skin. He's right here here. This is the point of Jesus teaching us this prayer and why he sets it up with the phrase like he does. But we've made the mistake. Heaven's a far away place. So rather than being somewhere right here. So I understand it. A lot of us, we don't feel close to God, but the reality is we are close. Isn't it weird? I don't understand why some people, they feel close to God when they go out into nature. You know, some of you are like that. You're out hiking trails. And my wife is like this, like she's out in nature and she just feels close to God there's like birdies landing on her shoulder and like deer coming up and she's feeding them. Oh, hello. It's weird. I don't know. And she feels close to God. Or some of you, you feel closer to God when you wake up in the morning early, 5, 5.30, 4 o'clock. You're up early with the Lord. I don't understand you. You're crazy. But why is that? Is God just outside? Is God just, just up in the early morning hours and then eventually he's like, oh, it's getting late. I did not realize how late it was. Peace. I got to go take care of some stuff. No. The truth is, whenever we feel distant, we don't feel like we're close. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. It's the result of some distraction or the way we've disordered our lives or we're too consumed in our phones or or, or social media. We're too too consumed. And Jesus is trying to get across to us. Listen, he's right there. He's with you. He's close, and he won't leave you. He says, our Father in the heavens. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Again, this is a word that we don't know what to do with. What does that even mean? Like, we don't use this in our everyday vernacular, right? You don't, somebody buys some shoes, your friend buys shoes, you don't say, dude, nice shoes, would be those shoes, <laughs> right? You don't say that. Hey, did you guys see The Rise of Skywalker? would be that movie, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was good, really good. Some people hated it, but whatever. Um, but, oh, now you're mad. Oh, George Lucas, Disney, I'm so mad. Just stop, just relax. Come back. You can use this if you want to, actually. And if you want to be single for the rest of your life, then this is probably a good Hey, Hey, babe, hallowed be that dress. Like, that's good if you want to just remain in the single area. That's probably the right thing to do. Or, actually, if you want to marry a very, very Christian girl, it also would probably work. Hallowed be that dress. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Like, it's, it's a, I don't know. Anyway, you work that out. That's really not the point of today. But here's, here's the, this word in the Greek. It's hagiadzo. Hagiazo. And it means set apart holy it means consecrate it means sanctify it means here it is to regard as special or sacred and so this word holy actually it's a little tricky for us too we don't we don't know how to use this word holy we don't really know what it means this word set apart holy because when we think of it we think of it as a moral word oh that guy is holy he's moral And that's a good use of the word, that's true. But in Hebrew, it's not just a moral word, it also has this ascetic sense to it. In other words, it means something that's beautiful and true. So when you say God is holy, you mean he's perfect and righteous, but you also mean he's beautiful, he's true, he's something else, he's in another category. He's different from anything. He's better than anything. He's more than I could possibly imagine. He is incredible and nothing compares to him. That's how Jesus is teaching us to approach him. Listen to this. William Barclay He's a theologian and he says, This idea, it saves us of the fatherhood of God from all sentimentality and it sets down in unmistakable terms the inescapable obligation of reverence. That when you come before him, you revere him. I think a lot of people, they struggle with prayer simply because they don't think that God likes them. But he does. He loves you. But in the same way, I think probably just as many of us, we fail to grasp his holiness when we come before him. And we can have this view of this divine love. Oh, he loves me so much. And miss out on the divine sovereignty. How great he is. How beautiful he is. How true he is. How right he is. We miss out on that. When I was, a, when I was a, a youth pastor, this will date me a little bit, and some of you won't have any idea what I'm talking about, but there was a T-shirt that was really popular, and it, it just had a picture of Jesus on it, and it just said, Jesus is my homeboy. You guys remember that shirt? Did you see it? I think it floats around every now and then. It says, Jesus is my homeboy. And actually, I like it. I think, I think it's fun. I think it's the right idea. And I think that, that God does want to be a friend, a friend who sticks closer than the brother. I, I believe all of that. So I like saying Jesus is my homeboy. However, it's not enough. It's a little too familiar. It leaves out this reality of how sovereign, how big, how grand, how worthy he is of all of my love and affection, and how I bow down in humility and awe and reverence and wonder at who he is. And Jesus wants you to have both. All that awe and reverence and wonder that also he's your friend. There's nothing like it. There's no relationship like this anywhere. Now listen, there's an author named Annie Dillard. She's Pulitzer Prize winning. Here's what she said about all of this. She says, does anyone have the foggiest idea? What sort of power we so blithely invoke like when we come to church? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? Here, listen. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. Hang with me. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue the, preser- the life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. Like, what's she getting at? She's getting at this idea that, that when we come, we realize, oh, you're huge. You're incredible. I don't know what you're going to do, but I want to be a part of it. You're moving all over the world, and we get to be a part of that thing, and we want to say yes to it. You're incredible. Strap on the helmet, put on the seatbelt, let's go to worship. This is kind of the perspective that we should have. And those first Christians, they didn't wear crash helmets, certainly. They weren't strapped in. But you can read through their writings. You can read through the book of Acts. You can read Paul's writings and these beautiful doxologies that he writes. You can look at John and these dramatic apocalypse that he writes in Revelation. You can see all these things and you begin to realize that, frankly, their God was bigger than ours that they knew what it meant to come before him in reverence and awe. And remember, they walked and talked with him. And they would come, and, 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 and when they'd gather together, they would revere him and stand in awe of his life and his power. They understood the fear of the Lord. They understood reverence, and they even understood this dreadful thing that it can be to fall into the hands of the living God, as the writer of Hebrews says. But our 21st century American convenience culture knows very little about reverence. Very little about respect because cynicism and skepticism and ridicule and mockery have all been normalized in our, in our day. But this idea of God's sovereignty, it has to be settled for us if we're going to be the kind of people who will pray. So Jesus wants you to know, he's teaching you in this prayer that prayer is worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. It's not just enjoyment of the Father's company. It's worshipful. Oh, I'm so thankful for you. God, I stand in awe of you. I love you so much. These are the things that Jesus, and the way he wants you to approach him. And Jesus is saying, Father, set you apart in my heart. Set you apart in my mind as holy, as special, as unique, as beautiful. There's no parallel. Nobody comes close to you. So I set you apart as the emotional source of my well-being. I got things I got to ask you for, and those things are important, and I'm going to get there. But before I do any of that, you are my source. And I can take or leave those things because you are my source. I don't have to have what I think I want or need today. Give me my daily bread. Yes, God, please do that. But if that doesn't work out that way, you are my source, and I have all that I need. So Jesus wants you to start with orientation before intercession he wants you to start when you come to prayer orienting your life and your mind and your heart and your day around him rather than just going straight to intercession now honestly if we tell the truth probably most of us we pray in opposite of that we come before him with intercession oh god i got a rough day today so please you got to do a b c d one two three you got to fix these things for me today i really need you to be on my side today and then we get bonus points if we spend some time with him in worship a little later. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you're good. Hallelujah, amen. Okay, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. I'm not trying to bring condemnation to anybody. I'm just trying to get us to reverse the order. To just see that when we come to prayer, we orient our lives around him before we run into prayer. And if we're missing that order, the reality is probably we're not really praying the Lord's prayer. We might just be praying the American dream prayer. Just give me what I want. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, good things. I believe God wants those things. But they're not the first things. And actually, those things, they all come from Him. They start in Him. They're founded in Him. Remember, He's the originator of all the things. From Him, through Him, for Him are all things. So as Jesus teaches this prayer, He doesn't want us just to fly by it. He wants us to pause. He wants us to take time here. Our Father, who loves me, who's close to me, who's right here with me, giving me life, filling my lungs, helping me, not far and distant, right here. Oh God, my Father who loves me, right here, hallowed be your name. And from there we begin to pray, now let your kingdom come. My heart is primed and ready. I'm ready to pray these things. Oh, God, give me my daily bread. But now, you know what? Actually, God, I don't even need this so much today. Why? Because you're my good, loving Father who's here. Hallowed be your name. You See it? Now, you guys come on up. Now, some of you, you're like, ah, oh, that's all well and good, Brent. I appreciate that. However, I'm not really good at this adoration, hallowed be thy name stuff, even on a good day. So, like, When I'm having a bad day, forget about it. Like I showed up today, kids were bratty in the car, me and the missus got in a fight. I just, I don't want to be here. And so it's really hard for me to enter into worship. I understand that. Can I just give you a few practical things? I just, I want to try to give you a few practical things that might be helpful. This is from the book that we're reading, How to Pray. Just a few things that might help you make it if you feel like, I don't know how to do this worship thing so well. The first one is, we'll do them quickly. The first one is that you just awaken your soul. We actually sang a song about it today. That you would just decide, I'm going to awaken my soul. Hey, soul, let's go. God is good. This is sheerly an act of will, everybody. This is you just saying, I don't feel like it. I don't want to be here. I'm mad at you and you and you. But I'm going to worship. Awake my soul. Let's go. Why? God's worthy of it. This is what the psalmist did in Psalm 103. Said, hey, praise the Lord, oh, Oh, my soul. Hey, I'm talking to you. Let's go. Praise him. Give him what he deserves. I don't want to. I don't care. We're doing it. Do you think I show up here every Sunday and I want to do it? You weirdos, no. There's so many days where I'm like, I don't want to do any of this. I don't want to preach. I don't want to sell these people. <laughs> Just kidding. That one's rare. Um <laughs> We're a portable church. It, things go wrong. Every Sunday. Yeah. Every Sunday it go wrong. <laughs> it's like things we always do and they're not being done and it doesn't work and something's off and the thing doesn't work and the screen won't come on. I'm like, I stand down here. Actually, my team knows. I'll make notes on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about this this week. Uh, after I make my note, put my phone down. I do not want to be here. God, you're worthy. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. You're worthy. You're, you're hallowed. Be your name. You're good, beautiful. You've done far too much for me, for me, just to stand here and be wrapped up in my own stupidity and selfishness. You, you're good. I don't feel like it. My insides mad. My hands are up. My heart is reaching. And some of you are like, "Well, you're a hypocrite." You don't mean it. No, I don't yet, but I'm on my way there. And I'm choosing that this is who I'm going to be. Awake my soul. The second one is maybe just pray a psalm. You're not good at it? Open up your Bible. Find a psalm that you like. It speaks to you. And just read it. Read it out loud and say it. And say it through the day. Pray a psalm, pick one, and and as you're reading it out loud, just find a phrase, a moment, something you go, ooh, that speaks to me, and grab a hold of that, pray that over and over and over again. Pray it at lunch, pray it at dinner, pray it on your coffee break, pray it after you have a fight with your kids. Pray it, pray it, pray it. Just spend it all day on that thing, and let that cause worship and adoration to come out of you. Listen, Pastor Ross said at our all-night prayer meeting, he said, "Uh, feelings follow, they don't lead. Many of us, we don't live in our lives that way because feelings are leading and your feelings are totally unstable and they cannot be trusted. So there's a pastor, youth pastor that I've really enjoyed, Jeannie Mayo, and she would always say, right actions bring about right emotions. Right actions bring about right emotions. So I'm just deciding, I'm moving forward, I'm gonna make this happen. I'm reading the psalm, I'm just choosing it. I don't feel like it, but I'm reading the psalm and I'm gonna make this happen. The third one is, (laughs) <laughs> you just worship worship with Bach Beyonce or Bethel yeah. it's from the book email him I know some of you're like what but here's the thing music melody harmony it's given by God and it does something in our heads it does something in our spirits it wakes us up more than any other stimuli and so let it work like find something if you like techno if you I know this guy that writes the book Pete Grieg he goes into prayer rooms and intercedes and he uses techno when he does that because it just motivates him, it inspires him, it works for him, so do that, it's okay, like, now, Beyonce, well, you gotta, you gotta be careful what song you pick there, but, uh, but just find something that stirs your soul, I like movie soundtracks, I'll listen to that sometimes, and inspire me, and motivate me, like, just find ways that, in the weirdness of you, that you can worship, without language, like, find some music that motivates you in worship, fourth thing, worship with other people, just, if you have a problem with adoration, if you can't figure it out, I just want to encourage you, keep showing up here. Yeah. And let us help you. Let Saul help you. you hear that? <laughs> let Saul help you. Let, let the team help you. Let's just worship together. Have you noticed that the Lord's prayer is all communal? Our Father, not my Father, our Father, it means you're engrafted into something bigger with a bunch of people who you can rely on when you feel like you don't have the strength. Worship with others. And finally, I've kind of already touched it, but worship with your own weirdness. Like, When's the last time you felt like you were doing something out in nature, on a hike, on the lake, on a stand-up paddleboard, wherever you were, and you're like, I feel God's presence here. It's awesome. Like find those places for you and prioritize them. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that I can go out on a stand-up paddleboard and pray? That's exactly what I'm saying. And you should. Some of you, you grew up with the term prayer closet. And so you're going into your closet and going, this is horrible. I hate this in here. I'm depressed. I don't want to pray in here. Don't do it. Oh, that punch was very powerful. Find a place you sense his presence and prioritize that place and those people eric liddell he's from that movie he's the runner in that movie chariots of fire a long time ago he said god made me fast and when i run i feel your pleasure find those places and then give god and give the world just the weirdest part of you worshiping out on a paddleboard enjoying your relationship with jesus Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. See you next time.